So hello everyone, I am back. If you don't recognize my voice, my name is Helen. I use she, her pronouns, and I've been the host for a number of other episodes on this podcast. I'm also the outreach coordinator here at Wises. So I just want to do a quick shout out to AJ, who did a fantastic job hosting in our last episode. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you go and do that after you listen to this episode. AJ interviews Luam, who is a biochemistry master's student, on their experience of being queer in STEM. And they have a conversation all about belonging in the STEM space. So it's a really great episode. So I encourage you to go give it a listen. Anyways, it is September, and can you believe it? We are starting yet another academic year, and we're kicking things off with our sixth episode. But before we jump in, I do want to start us off in a good way by acknowledging the land we are hosting this episode from. The University of Alberta is situated on Treaty 6 land in Amiskwitsi, Wiskaigan, also known as Edmonton. This is the very land that was taken from Indigenous communities to benefit colonizers and now settlers. So in a small but intentional way, I want to acknowledge the displacement of Indigenous communities from this land, especially the tragic loss of thousands of children in residential schools. I want this to motivate us to do better, to truly honour those that have cared for this land and those that have undoubtedly allowed us to thrive. I encourage everyone to familiarize yourselves with the 94 calls to action laid out in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and to find ways in which you can commit to bringing forth those actions. So to the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Soto, and Anishinaabe, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community, we give thanks for this opportunity to do better. Dialing back the time, I remember being in high school and constantly being asked by friends, family, family, friends, and teachers what it is that I want to do when I graduate from high school. I kept getting questions like, where are you going for university? What program are you applying to? Um, What do you want to be? And the truth is, in high school, the realm of possibilities feel daunting, more so than when you were five, where teacher, you know, astronaut, doctor, and maybe even YouTuber seem to be the only careers out there in the world. I vividly remember feeling anxious that if I didn't choose the right career or pathway, that I'd be doomed forever. Now, having graduated high school, completed my undergrad and my master's degree, I'm realizing the possibilities are even more plentiful than when I was in high school, and that it's okay to pivot when you realize the career you thought you wanted to do isn't exactly what you envisioned it to be. Or maybe life circumstances change and you're forced to make some tough decisions about your career trajectory. I know that's definitely what happened to me and many others out there. And so in this mini series, I wanna dive into what it's like to pivot in your career. We'll be hearing from a few guests about their experiences of pivoting in their STEM career. And remember STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. I'm excited to share that today I'll be joined by an old friend of mine and old, not in age, but in history, We went to junior high together, so Parkview Junior High, and high school together, so go T-Birds at Ross Shepherd High School, and we studied the same program at the University of Alberta, Bachelor of Science in General Biology, and we were both very interested in marine biology. I'm excited to have her join as our guest because even though we pursued somewhat similar studies, our paths took very different turns, and Brittany has navigated not one, but two major pivots in her career. 
So without further ado, welcome, Brittany. Thank you, Helen. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is really exciting for me because I get to share with the world your experiences after, you know, having navigated these pivots. But before we get into it, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe tell me a little bit about your background and your journey in pursuing STEM? You bet. My name is Brittany Conradi. I use she, her pronouns, and I have my Bachelor of Science in Biological Sciences from the University of Alberta and my Master's of Science in Biodiversity and Conservation from Trinity College Dublin in Dublin, Ireland. I'm currently an environmental planner for Stantec, which is a large consulting and engineering firm based here in Edmonton, but with offices all over North America and some different countries around the world as well. That's awesome. I know we're going to talk a little bit about how you, you know, ended up in Ireland. That is a really cool (laughs) tidbit about you that not only have you had Canadian education, but you've also had um, international education out in Ireland. Um, So you're talking about uh, being at Stantec right now. Um, What is it that you do in your job with Stantec? So my job title is an environmental planner. So really, I guess the larger umbrella term for that, that maybe makes a bit more sense is that I'm an environmental consultant. So I do a lot of regulatory based applications for a variety of different industries. So whether that is um, electrical or oil and gas or urban development, we do a lot of the regulatory work on an environmental side. So things like uh, water permitting or wildlife sweeps, things like that, that all go into regulatory applications for municipal, provincial, and federal level government. That's awesome. That's a lot of responsibility. And I think when you're in high school, you probably never heard of the term environmental consultant. So it's kind of cool that you ended up in there. I guess then I want to jump into talking about kind of your trajectory and how you ended up here at Stantec. When was it that you pivoted your career? And I mentioned you had two major pivots, so you can just start right from the beginning there. (laughs) You bet. Yeah, so I have pivoted two different times in my career. I guess you could almost say three times because as you had mentioned, environmental consultant isn't a job that I even knew existed until after I had graduated university. But to start way from the very beginning, I was always really interested in science, particularly ecology, from the time that I was really little. I spent a lot of time as a kid on Vancouver Island, picking through tide pools, collecting banana slugs, you name it. And that interest lasted right through high school for me. And science was a really easy choice when it came to applying for post-secondary. So I was able to see through post-secondary what aspects of biology I really liked, what the field really was, and not just what naturalists on TV do. And so I found out through that that I really liked macroecology. So that's the large-scale ecosystem dynamics that we see around us every day. And at the same time, I was still really in love with marine biology. And So I wasn't so interested in cell biology or going the medicine route that a lot of my kind of colleagues were doing at the U of A at the time. And so sometimes I felt a little bit lost. And I think, um, as Helen was kind of alluding to, that's a really normal thing. And I've talked about it with a lot of friends now that we're 
10 years on from undergrad and it seems like a lot of people say the same thing. But uh, when I graduated in 2012 from that program, I also graduated straight into a recession, which was extremely difficult. There weren't a lot of job options available in the fields that I really was interested in. So fisheries or marine biology. And so I honed my job search in closer to home. And that meant reaching out to various contacts, either people that my parents knew or approaching people on social media. Things like LinkedIn were really valuable at that time, and I think still are. Um, and that's how I found consulting. Um, one of my dad's friends from high school was an environmental consultant, and he took me out for lunch and talked to me about what his job was and kind of provided me with some additional feedback and contacts to talk to. So from there, I got my first job with a small consulting firm. And I did everything from site reclamation to environmental auditing, regulatory reporting, and I really loved it. But it, it got a little bit tiring doing field work all the time and not having a regular schedule. And at the same time, I was headhunted by an oil and gas company, which was kind of a, a bit of a conflict of interest for me at the time. As a biologist, a lot of us are kind of in this anti-climate change, anti-pipeline sort of rhetoric. And so kind of balancing that out with, with my understanding of industry was a bit of a challenge, but I kind of figured, you know, the person that's going to make this change is an environmental scientist. And so I ended up taking that role as well and kind of moving on in my career into more of an office-based did a lot of project management. So I was now hiring the people that would be in the field. And at that same time, <laughs> I met my husband. And that was a major pivot in my life because right off the bat, he said, you know, I'm going to medical school. That's my plan. And so take it or leave it. <laughs> Fair play to him. So we decided together that, you know, we're going we're gonna to make this interesting. We're going to do this journey together. And he decided to apply overseas to Ireland because we were a little bit older. Um, we weren't the typical fresh out of undergrad applicants to medical school. And we didn't want to go through all of the time that it takes to get in in Canada, which typically it takes three different application cycles to become accepted. And so we made the decision to make an adventure out of it and move overseas. So he was accepted to medical school in Limerick, Ireland somewhere we had never, ever been before. And the first time we were there was to house hunt. So we, I made the decision to leave my job thinking, you know, I, I can probably find some consulting work in Ireland. That turned out to not be the case. And so when, when we were there, I had to make the decision to pivot in my career and choose between moving home by myself, where I could still go back to my old job, or make the decision to go to school and be able to stay in the same country and pursue something that had always kind of been in the back of my mind, but never felt practical because I was making an income, I had a mortgage to pay and bills to pay. And I just thought, you know, now's the time. So I applied broadly to all of the different programs that I was interested in. So marine biology, some general biology programs, and I was accepted to all of them, which really surprised me. <laughs> and um, so I, I was able to take my pick. 
And so I chose my top choice, which was Trinity College Dublin. And I did my master's there in biodiversity and conservation. And in all honesty, that was the best decision I think I have ever made in my career. I was broke, but I was so happy. (laughs) And I met so many amazing people. And um, I think it's also important to note that the way that master's programs are run in Europe is a little bit different than how they're run in Canada and the United States. So typically they're very course-based with a smaller thesis aspect. So it was like a 60-40 split with the grades from our thesis versus the grades from our coursework. So the majority of the year was spent with the same cohort of people doing courses in all kinds of different biological topics. So anything from vegetation to climate change to um, statistics and all of these things that contribute to making a decision later on down the road as to what you want to focus on. And I really, really enjoyed that course-based aspect of it. And I also really enjoyed doing my thesis. And for my thesis, I actually found a supervisor based in Canada who I had met at Bamfield. And that was kind of the ultimate plan was to move home. And so I wanted that tie to Canada as well. So I ended up jumping straight into a PhD with the same supervisor right after I graduated. Uh, That was at Memorial University in Newfoundland here on the East Coast of Canada. And again, it, it was a lot of fun. I did all of my coursework in that first year and also had a very heavy focus on fieldwork. So I did a lot of scientific diving and met, again, some really, really incredible people. Had a ton of fun, but at the same time, we realized that there was A, no opportunity in Newfoundland for my husband to rejoin me for his residency program. And B, my mom was also diagnosed with cancer at the same time. So I think that second kind of major pivot in my career back from academia into the consulting world was largely driven by kind of life circumstances. And I think that's important to note that, you know, life doesn't always work out the way you plan it to. And I was also ready, I think, to make another change in my life. I missed being around family. I missed home after four years abroad. And so it it felt like it was time. And I think something that many people in academia will probably recognize is that feeling of constantly taking one step forward and two steps back. And so again, I, I loved the coursework aspect of it because there was something really concrete to focus on. But as soon as it came to trying to work out a thesis and the constant changing that has to happen to determine exactly what narrow piece of science you're going to focus on for four years of your life, it's really challenging. And I think that took a pretty decent toll on my mental health, particularly without the support of family being around. And so we made the decision to move back home to Edmonton and stay landlocked. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a marine yeah. biologist on the prairies. Yeah, I always got that comment. How, how did you pursue marine biology from the prairies? Um, you mentioned a number of things, and maybe uh, for our audience, we'll, we'll clear some things up. Um, 
I want to note, you mentioned, you know, networking and utilizing social media and LinkedIn. And that's something that we definitely share with our students and the importance of that. So many connections, and especially when you graduate and getting your first job, being able to network is such a huge plus for somebody who is new to the field who doesn't really know maybe exactly where they want to land, but getting the word out there that you are available, that you are seeking jobs, that is super important to, you know, getting into your first career. And another thing is you talked about being headhunted, which I think a lot of high school students, and I remember when I was a high school student, I didn't understand what headhunted was at all. Do you want to describe what headhunting is? Sure. So I don't know how this works in all industries, but for me, it felt like as soon as I had a job, other people wanted me to be employed by them. And so this was something that I noticed mainly on LinkedIn, that as soon as I was employed as an environmental consultant, a lot of other consulting companies and industry companies that are peripheral to consulting would be approaching me and saying, hey, we're interested in hiring you or would you like to come in and talk to us about what opportunities we have at our company and it was a weird dynamic where you're more desirable when you have a job (laughs) and I was thinking you know where were all of you people six months ago when I really needed a job yeah and so I had actually interviewed with the company that I ended up working for I worked for Enbridge Pipelines and I had interviewed with them in my first round of interviews out of undergrad and they liked how I interviewed, but they said, you know, you just don't have any experience. And someone else interviewed that had a year of consulting under her belt. And so we would like to keep you in mind for future positions, but you know, a year went by, I didn't hear anything from them again. And so I actually continued to stalk them on LinkedIn a little bit <laughs> and followed up with the person that interviewed me and nothing came of it. They had gone through a hiring freeze, et cetera, given the recession that we were in at the time. And it was about a year and a bit after I had started my role at this other small consulting firm that I got a call from HR at Enbridge and they said, hey, I know you interviewed for this position over a year ago but are you still interested? And I said, maybe. So (laughs) I, I went and I interviewed and to be perfectly frank, they offered me a bigger paycheck. And at the time I had just bought a house. I was starting to save for life expenses and it made sense for me to move. It offered me a more regular schedule, a little bit more money, And that was what I needed at the time. So that was the result of headhunting. Yeah. And I think it's just such a fascinating concept because we've been told, especially when you're in high school, that you're going to have to apply to jobs and you're going to have to put a great resume or cover letter together. And sometimes there's this option where people are seeking you out and offering you positions which feels kind of good, I'm sure. You're like, ooh, it does. I, I'm a hot commodity. <laughs> you feel very important. But I think it's also really important to note that applications online are not the only way to go about getting a job. Every job that I have had so far has been based on me connecting with people that I'm interested in working with. You're not then looked at as a number in an HR system. 
And I know some people might say, oh, that's boomer advice. <laughs> Just go and hand in, your, hand in your resume at the office. And in some cases, you'll still be asked to apply online, but they will know who you are when they see that resume come through. It allows you to yeah. ask questions of people, understand what their job really is, mm-hmm. what they like about their job, and it puts a face to your name. Totally. I think that's such great advice, especially in the age where it's so easy to kind of hide behind your screen. And as you said, you just become a number and a lot of people just put together a resume and send it off to, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 places and hope someone comes back to them. And, and there's no personal connection there. Yeah. And when you do show up, you're communicating, you know, I really want this. I'm really intrigued by this position and I'm serious about it. And here's my face. So I think that is really important advice. And and you're right. Sometimes they will just be like, well, go back and, you know, apply via our online portal. But at least there's been a human connection that's been made there, which is so important nowadays. Yeah. So you did talk about, it is three pivots, you know, now that you shared your, your story (laughs) and I think pivoting in your career requires a lot of courage, bravery, and risk-taking. And so I think a lot of the times people get stuck in fear, thinking, you know, sometimes if a university student, they just started, they chose, you know, a science degree and decided, oh my goodness, this is not where I want to be. They just push through it because they don't want to be seen as a failure. They don't want to not complete something because in in Mm -hmm. your life, you've been told you you have to just push through and persevere, but sometimes that's not the right decision. And sometimes we get paralyzed by that fear. I think what's really important in this equation is to seek out the supports that will carry you through something as big as a career pivot. So I just want to ask you, you know, what are the supports? You kind of alluded to it, uh, talking about your family being a really huge source of support, but what supports did you require to help you make those, those three pivots? For sure. It was so, so important to have supportive people around me. I think the biggest pivot and the one where I felt the most fear and uncertainty was leaving academia for the, I guess, for the first time, really leaving a PhD. I mean, you start this thinking, you know, okay, this is four years of my life. I'm going to finish it. And you just persevere. And that's not always the case. And it took a lot of thinking and a lot of time and a lot of tears from me thinking, okay, am I actually going to quit something? I I don't quit things lightly. And I spoke to a lot of friends about it. I, I didn't have any friends who had been in a similar position, but had kind of pivoted within academia perhaps, or stayed in industry and pivoted within industry only. But everybody said, you know, you have to do what's best for you, for your mental health, and for the circumstances that you've been given. And those circumstances lined up to, unfortunately or fortunately, and now I'm thinking more fortunately, (laughs) lined up to bring me back to Edmonton. And it was a lot of bouncing ideas off of close friends who had experience both in academia and industry, as well as people who knew me really well. So my husband and my close family were people that I ran these ideas by before I had any sort of official conversations with my supervisor or my lab mates. And I 
don't know if I would have ended up making the same decision if it wasn't for those conversations and that support. I think I would have felt very stuck and like I had to complete something. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's important to note that there is a big kind of stigma in academia that leaving is a failure. And it really isn't. I mean, I've now flourished in a career that at first, during my first pivot into academia, I didn't think I wanted but it was just the type of role I had in that industry that wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I think it ended up all being for the better, but that support is really, really important. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, when you're in university and, and being in, in a university, you know, setting, there's this idea that academia and, and getting your PhD is like the holy grail. Like that is yeah. the goal. Yes. And if you make it wonderful, you get crowned at the end or something. But if you don't, then you're just some, you know, lay person that has fallen off the the track. So I think, um, yeah, you bring up a really good point is that, you know, coming out of a PhD and saying, you know, I didn't finish the PhD, but I am still thriving. Like I've found ways to make it work and to, to succeed in not a non-academic route. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important to point out because when you're in the uh, university setting, you do get this idea that, you know, completing your PhD is, is the ultimate goal, which it isn't. (laughs) That that doctor title, that doctor title was something I was chasing and nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody that I love is going to care if I'm Dr. Conradi or just Brittany Conradi. It doesn't make a difference to, to those people that really matter. Mm-hmm. And as long as you are happy with the decision that you make and you are thriving because of the decision that you make, it was the right decision. You can't let somebody else's opinion or the opinions of a bunch of people online, perhaps, yeah. make that decision for you because ultimately you'll end up being unhappy if you don't make that decision for you. Yeah. And by all means, for folks who have pursued their PhD, we are banking on the fact you're making that decision because yes, something that worked for you and it, it's not for everyone. But I think that last bit that you said about, you know, that was a decision that was made for you and it made you happy and that you're thriving in it. That's what's most important at the end of the day. So um, I'm glad you put that in there. Um, I guess uh, addressing fears. So prior to the pivots, were there, was there anything specifically that you feared going into this big transition? Absolutely. There were two different ones, I think, dependent on the pivot at the time. The first one was when I decided to pursue my master's degree. It was a fear of what my financial situation could be. I was choosing to go into a career where my income would be largely dependent on grants and largely dependent on the funding that the lab or university that I was associated with had. And I ended up being very lucky in that I was eligible for various student loans and scholarships for my master's. And then later on when I started my PhD that I was part of a very well-funded lab. Um, My supervisor was a Canada research chair. So she had funding that was available to all of us whether we were master's students or PhDs. That's always um, nice. <laughs> and it was, it was such a relief because mm-hmm. I mean, that cost of living adds up so much. And then 
you may not think about it at the time, but those loans have to be paid off at some point. And unfortunately, biology isn't always the most lucrative of careers. And so sometimes that's a reality. And so that was a that was a real fear for me up front. But I put that aside for my happiness. And I absolutely recognize that that is a, a massive privilege to be able to do that. I'm also very lucky that we live in a country like Canada where there is a lot of funding available. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are many people that I know that have struggled with very similar decisions. But in terms of other fears, I think the biggest one leaving academia was my fear of judgment from the academic community. And that fear of being seen as a quitter. Mm, And that was really, really difficult for me as someone who had really good grades and had been very successful in both programs so far. It was really hard for me to, I guess, rationalize to myself that I could leave and that that judgment was maybe all in my own head and that people didn't really feel that way. Mm -hmm. And I think it was also important to show other people that maybe we're struggling, that it is okay to leave. Yep. And it's not the end of the world. You will get back on your feet. Mm -hmm. And if you're making that decision for you, that's the most important thing. Yep. I think we definitely need to normalize those conversations. And, you know, a part of this podcast is to shed light on people's experiences that don't necessarily look like what you think all of our experiences look like, which is that, you know, this point H, point B, very clean line in between. Um, no, there's a lot of meandering in the middle. Oh, absolutely. Um, life happens. Life happens. Exactly. You touched on the fact that, you know, the places that you were living was largely dictated by your husband's uh, uh, education and, and mm-hmm. his medicine path. Um, and so this kind of leads into our next question of, Do you feel like there were any specific challenges you faced as a woman who is very motivated in pursuing a fulfilling career and then transitioning and making those pivots, um, knowing that you were having to spend some time thinking about, you know, what your husband needed as well during that time? Do you feel like there were any specific challenges there as a woman? Absolutely, because I feel like there's this real push to be completely independent and make all of your own decisions. And I mean, I'm sure that that works for some relationships. And in our case, we have taken turns putting each other first, depending on whose needs at the time are limited. We have been up to date, very location limited with medicine. And I don't know if a lot of listeners maybe at this point know how that process works, but getting into medical school, you're often only given a couple, of, a couple of acceptances. So you have very limited choices of where you're going to go. And for residency, depending on the specialization that you want to go in, you're also very limited to what hospitals you can go to. And so we made the decision together to go through the process for him to apply back to Alberta and for me to pursue the job that I wanted in Alberta. But we did live apart for a couple of years. I lived on the opposite side of Ireland from him so that I could pursue my master's degree. And then I moved over to Newfoundland and left him alone in Ireland. And we just made it work. But I think there's a lot of give and take in a relationship. And sometimes I'm the one taking, sometimes he's the one taking. And Mm -hmm. I think ultimately that has made us both happier 
and has allowed both of us to fulfill our careers, maybe not at the pace that we want to. And sometimes we've certainly had to compromise, but that's what relationships are, whether it's a friendship yes. or a marriage or, or any kind of a relationship, it's always full of compromise and not everybody can always get exactly what they want. Yeah. And I think more people are facing those decisions as, um, and it doesn't obviously have to be a heteronormative couple or anything, um, but people, again, as you said, in friendships, um, in any relationships that they are in, there is this compromise. um, And as people are more motivated to seek out their careers and have that fulfilling career, um, these decisions are having to be made uh, because there is this like two body problem. If you can find it and have your, your careers kind of play out in parallel with each other, awesome. It's happened. I've witnessed some of that happen Mm -hmm. and and wish that was part of my life as well. But I think that uh, this is very common now as, you know, two partners are seeking out a fulfilling career. So I'm glad that you're able to share a little bit about that because I think as our students graduate from their undergrad and and get into relationships, these are some of the decisions that uh, they are going to face inevitably. Absolutely. And whether it's work-related or academia-related, mm-hmm. yeah. lo- location plays a huge role in how you manage a relationship. For sure. Well, this brings us to the end of kind of our questions and our topics of discussion here. But knowing that our podcast listeners generally are about high school, undergrad, aged, what is one piece of advice you'd like to leave them with? I think going back to the networking piece, I think it's so important to talk to the people around you, talk to your parents, your family, friends, and find out what they do in their careers. If there's something that you are particularly interested in, ask around and see if the people around you know anybody in that field and get an idea of what they like and what they don't like about their jobs. And it'll give you a bit more of a perspective going into your undergrad as to what you might want to focus on because undergrad's very daunting. There's so many options for courses and and there's so much room for creativity and exploration and having, having some idea of the things that really interest you and a, a real idea of what interests you based on, based on feedback from those around you, I think is extremely valuable. Yeah, talking to people and networking is so important. So I really love that piece of advice. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. And be um, creative. I mean, yeah. if if you have two different interests that seem to conflict, like you're interested in science and arts, go for it. Mm-hmm. There is so much room in this world for different careers that may not be a line of work that really exists. Make it up. Yep. <laughs> and and that's the beauty. Yeah, like there is this ability now to create positions for yourself and create a job for yourself. So yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me here, to share your story, um, to talk about, you know, some of the struggles that you went through to go through these pivots in your career. Um, But I think this is a very important story that we do want to shed light to. So we do have a few more guests Um, that we will be chatting with in the upcoming months about their pivots in their STEM career. I hope that from Brittany's story, all of you listeners, you know, you were able to learn something new, challenge the way you think, or start asking yourself some narrative shifting questions. We'd love it if you could share this episode with one other person to help us expand our reach. 
Make sure to stay in the know about the Wise of STEM podcast by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. So we are on Apple Podcasts now, which is awesome. If you'd like to stay updated on programs that Wisest offers, consider subscribing to our monthly e-newsletter or following us on social media. You can find all that information in the description. 